You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 191 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. What's happening in the world of Al? You you know what, before you answer, I have something that's happening that I think that's super exciting for all of our listeners. Do you think that your thing trumps my thing? Mm, It's our thing, Al. Oh, righto. Okay, then. <laughs> We're going to do the sharing one first then, are we? Okay. Yes, we'll do the... I can be yes. cooperative. <laughs> yes, please do. So, very, very exciting because we've had so many people email us asking us whether there's some kind of online community that they can join associated with the podcast because there are people who like that sense of community because it's kind of like talking to some friends on the podcast and you know that there's other listeners out there who are going through the same thing as you. You. So in response to that, we have started a Facebook group only for listeners of So You Want to Be a Writer. Yay. So yes, pretty exciting, pretty exciting. So uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find at so you want to be a writer.com.au. But if you're in Facebook, all you need to do is search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. So that's So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. Now, at the moment, it's just me and Alison in there. (laughs) It's very lonely, people. Come and save me, please. She just keeps throwing words of the week at me. But you know what? I have to say, I think this is such a cool thing because I recently, um, anyone who's sharing Facebook with me with my Alison Tate writer page, and I mean, really, if you're not, I can't understand why. (laughs) Anyway, um, we'll know that I put up a post um, because I'm writing a a very uh, long and involved post about podcasting for a big US website, um, which will come out in a little while and I was sort of asking people why they why they listen to the podcast and the number one response the number one response apart from you know the word of the week which came <laughs> up which came up very very regularly um and also you know useful writing information and that kind of stuff but the other number one was community the fact that you know writing is such a lonely isolating kind of thing to do and that um, you know, being part of the podcast community makes makes people feel like they're not alone. And I love that. And I'm so glad that, you know, we are going to provide a place for everyone, you guys, to get together, talk to each other, share your writing journeys, and um, and we will be there cheering you on. Absolutely. I'm so excited about it. So make sure you come and join us because, like I said, it's me and Al and we need some friends. <laughs> <laughs> We only do the podcast because we need friends. <laughs> we only do the podcast because it gives us an excuse to talk to at least each talk other once a week. <laughs> I know. Who'd be a writer, really? Goodness me. All right, All right. Well, yeah, so please do join us. We'd love to see you in there. But now what's been happening in the world of Al? 
Oh, the world of Al. Well, the world of Al has been fairly busy because, of course, write a book with Al, hashtag write a book with Al, is well underway. We've uh, completed our first week. And I must say that everybody seems to be chugging along very, very nicely, much better than I am. Uh, big shout out to Pip Lincoln, who is writing her first uh, fiction. Uh, you might remember Pip, we interviewed, I think, oh, a while ago now, but she writes beautiful non-fiction crafty kind of books yes. that make me feel like I should be crafty even though I'm not. Um, but she's now working on a fantastic, she's working on her first fiction and she's joined the yeah. challenge and she's absolutely powering. So hello to Pip doing a great job. Um, so, yeah, so Write a Book with Al is, is chugging along nicely. Um, what else is happening? Uh, oh, I've got some news. My yes. might remember, I've talked about yes. this a little bit, my, my young friend Book Boy is, um, has been writing songs and has been involved in a songwriting project and mm. all of that. Well, his song is now out there in the public domain on YouTube um, and I'll put a link. <gasps> really? It is. It's, oh, my uh, God. It's, they've put up a playlist. Um, so his song was recorded as part of a, an album um, called The Young Coasties Anthology and he is, was it an anthology if it's an album? I want to say it's, it's not. That's anyway, a good question. The Young Coasties album, um, mm. and it's uh, the playlist. The full album is online now, and his song is there. And um, I, as I said, I'll put a link in the show notes if you'd like to have a listen to it on YouTube. So um, that is I'm very so exciting. Now you exciting. know that Justin Bieber started on YouTube, don't you? Yeah, no. This, this is not like really. <laughs> There's not a lot of a lot of dancing or moves. There's a kind of a photo of him and a bit of information, and then his song in the back. You know, his song is obviously playing beautifully. Um, yes. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. He's not really the Biebs type. I did say to him that he might <laughs> like to learn a few moves at some point because um, he does take part in. You know, he's actually in a musical theatre production at the moment, and he's got one of the main roles. And I said to him, you know, do you have to dance? And he's like, Mom, I don't dance. I said, well, you know, if you want to be in musical theatre, you, you really yeah. got to be a triple th- threat. you got to do yes. the singing, the dance, the acting and the dancing. And he's like, I'm just the double, Mum. I'm like, righto. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just the double. Right. Good. That's fine that by me. That is so exciting. You've obviously got a very creative ha- household happening. Uh, Sounds yes. like. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of noisy. Let's just put it like that. It's well, not ideal for a writer, is it? He was in here practicing <laughs> electric guitar riffs over and over and over again the other day, oh. and I was thinking. And he was also a drummer, so you know. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, it's okay. not ideal. Anyway. Well, it's um, if listeners find uh, a few strange noises happening in today's podcast, we have tried to avoid this, but Alison has a bobcat in her yard, and I have a plumber out the front, so. There could the bobcat's be not in my yard. No, no, it's next door. Oh, yes. If the bobcat yeah. was in my yard, I would be saying to the bobcat man, "Please stop doing that." But no, <laughs> I can't do that to the neighbour. So. Fair <laughs> anyway. enough. Fair anyway, enough. We should talk about writing. We're like yes, ten minutes we in. Should. We should. We should. Um, all right, so let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. Now, I believe that you have a article about freelancing and mental health or um, anxiety and oppression. Is that Yes, I, I do. It's, and it's one of those little articles that you come across occasionally. It's on the website. It's on uh, in the New York Magazine website, nymag.com, um, in the Science of Us section. And it's basically about... Um, how the author, Cinnamon Janza, um, loves freelancing, um, but it does take a toll on mental health. And I think it's something that it's probably worth addressing 
um, for freelancers because I think people think about freelancing and they see pajamas, they see coffee, they see cafes, they see, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of the flexibility of freelance life, which is a terrific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they don't necessarily see some of the other stuff. And I think that the other stuff is worth talking about if you are considering becoming a freelancer, because um, you do spend an enormous amount of time by yourself. Yep. Uh, you spend an enormous amount of time not quite knowing where your next meal is coming from in the sense of not quite knowing what your next job might be. There's mm. also that sense of, of, of having to give every job your all because, you know, your your next job relies on your last job, on the quality yes. of your last job in many, many ways. And that can take um, can take a toll on your mental health. I think it's really worth, um, you know, the days, uh, what happens, I think, is that we think we look longingly at the freedom of freelancing when we're in an office job and we think about all those days where, you know, we might not be busy and we imagine ourselves, you know, reading or walking or whatever. But what you tend to do when you're not busy is angst about the fact that you're not busy. Mm. Um, and then you send out 17, you know, frantic pitches. And then all of a sudden you're so busy that you can't think straight um, because right. you've got to get all these deadlines met and stuff like that. And so it's something that is really um it's important to learn to manage as a freelancer is that ebb and flow of mm. freelance life. And you do need to be very, very disciplined. And, um, you know, it, it really takes a certain personality type, I think, in some ways to do it successfully. Yeah, Would absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think that some people cope well with uncertainty and other people don't. And -hmm. I think that you need to recognise that if you are one of those people who does not cope well with uncertainty, then you need to have probably more strategies in place as a freelancer than those people who are quite happy to, not to have heaps of money in the bank or not not to know that they're going to get a regular paycheck. And those strategies might include certain things like being really disciplined about when you do have the money coming in to put away probably a higher chunk than the the other people um, who are in the other group and also just to make sure that you have some um, stress management strategies because anxiety can build when you have uncertainty and not everyone suffers from this admittedly Uh, but if you are one of those people then I think it's important to seek out some kind of anxiety management strategies so that you can cope with with the fact that it's not a regular paycheck but importantly, talk to other freelancers. Yeah, I was going so, to say that. Yeah, so that you know that this is normal <clears throat> and that yep. it is not unusual at all to have the ebbs and flows, but they balance out in the end if you're, you know, consistent and doing good work. Yeah, I think that the networking aspect of freelancing is often overlooked and it's one of the most important, yeah. that support network around you Definitely. of people who understand where you are and don't yeah. think that you're just sitting around all day lying on the couch drinking cups of tea. Like that's, that's the thing right. because there is this sort of idea out there that's what freelance life is when, of course, you know, when you're doing it, you know that it's not that. So um, if you are freelancing, you know, seek out other freelancers. Don't be scared to make friends with other freelancers mm. um, because, you know, that's how work happens too. Referral networks are really important in freelance life as well. So Absolutely. I just wanted to... I just thought that was a really interesting little article and something that I think it's always worth um, just, you know, checks and balances, I think, when it comes to any kind of um, dream mm. because I know that people do dream of a freelance writing life and the reality of it can sometimes really be a slap in the face with a wet fish. So, you know. 
Yes, if you don't have the right sort of <laughs> you you know, strategies in place. Yeah, That's right. Exactly, yeah. And exactly. if and I agree about the networking and certainly things like our freelance writing masterclass program. Uh, we had a meetup in Sydney recently, so you should go to things like that. And um, if you are in the program, we are going to have a meetup in Melbourne in September and Brisbane, I think, in October. So yeah, anyone who's part of the freelance writing masterclass program will be able to come to those and we can all just chat about freelance life life and also learn from each other in different strategies, different contacts, and also, um, you know, talk about your pitches and articles as well. Right. So let's move on to our next link, which is, I found this um, link uh, in the Atlantic and mm. it's called Writing in Someone Else's World. Now, I liked this. It's it's interesting because it's probably more relevant to our American listeners. And the reason for that is it talks, uh, this a guy called Jason Heller talks about the fact that he, uh, his first book, you know, he thought his first book was going to be this literary work of genius. But in fact, his first book, which I have no doubt was still very, very good, turned out to be a movie tie-in. So, yeah, he wrote uh, The Captain Jack Sparrow Handbook. (laughs) (laughs) What fun. (laughs) Yes, because an editor at Quirk Books said, hey, you know, would you be interested in writing this this kind of book. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about Captain Jack Sparrow as in the Pirates of the Caribbean, as in Johnny Depp. And so this guy wrote a movie tie-in. So the book was meant to be published uh, around the same time the movie was going to come out because obviously that made a lot of sense. You could ride on off each other's publicity and therefore increase the number of book sales. And so he didn't expect that he would that would be his first book. And he, he did have some reservations in that uh, there was kind of used to be a stigma with movie tie-ins in that they were written by hacks and, you know, it wasn't going to be a literary sensation. Um, but he went on to then write another movie tie-in for Goosebumps. Oh, yeah. You know the movie Goosebumps? Yeah. And, um, and is quite happy and, and, and is, has really enjoyed the experience of both of those things. Now, a couple of interesting points that he makes is that with movie tie-ins or with books of this nature where you have not – he didn't create the character Captain Jack Sparrow. He didn't create Goosebumps or whatever. He says, he says that you're playing in someone else's world. So you, what, you, what typically happens is that you get a flat rate. You mm. don't get a royalty because – somebody else created that world and you're just working with the material mm. that already exists. But it's a nice kind of um, uh, very clear because you don't have to invent the world or anything like that and it's a very clear brief and it's a very clear outcome that needs to be produced and it can he, – he had to write that in five weeks, I think, mm. which he did and he said it was a nice chunk of – of time that he could concentrate on one thing instead of because he was a freelancer pitching lots of different ideas to lots of different people and, um, you know, as we've just mentioned, having to deal with the ebb and flow. He knew for that Mm. period he can concentrate on that, he was going to get that set amount of cash uh, by the end. But it's something that is certainly worth 
thinking about. Now, in Australia, we don't have so many, we don't originate these kind of movie tie-ins in the same way. But we do have the series fiction, such as we discussed with Louise Park in a recent episode, yes. um, and also with Marisa Pintado um, a couple of episodes prior to that. She talked about series and, and how they look for, you know, authors to create books within a series under a pseudonym. Yep. The world is already there. There's a very set, you know, specific sort of character arcs that need to be followed and all of that sort of stuff. So it's not dissimilar. It's just, yes. um, you know, a different a different way of, of, of packaging the product, I guess. And um, and it's also like my the first book I ever wrote was ghostwritten. So it's um, mm. it's not a surprising way for like for a lot of people to kind of get their start in some ways. Yeah. Um, but coming across those opportunities is not always easy either. So I, I don't blame him for kind of jumping on it because at the end of the day yes. they don't just offer them to anyone so it's worth doing something like that just to um like from from my experience the ghost writing book was really interesting for me because it was the first long form um you know that I'd ever done and so it it taught me I taught myself how to write <laughs> book length mm. works you know whilst I was doing it and I think that you know and I got paid well to do it as well which is you yes. know unusual in books <laughs> Well, that's right. I think that it's worthwhile considering these sorts of gigs as in where you are a gun for hire to mm. get the experience but also to get paid mm. <laughs> and also to get the contacts. Uh, so, yeah. so examples like, you know, you ghostwriting or um, where you're writing under a pseudonym in the series fiction or like this or, in fact, my first book was also I was a gun for hire as well and uh, I think that some editors had seen my byline in in Clio and writing about those sorts of articles that you that you read in women's magazines and they wanted a book in similar vein mm. and so that's what um, I did for about three books uh but yeah it's definitely worth uh giving it a go and and seeing what's available all right so um oh yes now speaking of being of you know writing um in a systematic way where you get a certain amount and a certain outcome i found this great article on quartz and it's called professional romance novelists can write three thousand words a day (laughs) here's how they do it. Now, um, it talks about the fact that uh, romance writers uh, are are true hustlers (laughs) and Mm. it talks about how some of them can write five books a year. And, Mm. for example, it gives this example of H.M. Ward, uh, who has sold 13 million books, says she writes two hours a day but averages 2,500 words an hour. She's that's impressive. She's a fast I typist. No, fast typist. Maybe she talks. I'm like, we're, about yeah, it. wow. Yeah, it's just and also Nancy Robards Thompson, who writes contemporary and historical romance, has sold thirty-eight books in thirteen years. So she aims for about half of um, Ward's rate, which is which is still two and a half thousand words in two hours. Mm. Yeah, and she'll publish <clears throat> five new books this year. It's like it's astounding, I think. Um, But this article goes on to ask, well, what makes these writers so prolific and what kind of, you know, strategies do they have in order to do all of that? And 
some of the things are um, that they have a, a very strict word count goal, and if you don't, if you miss one day's goal, one day's word count, you have to double the next day's word count. Wow. <laughs> That's just wow. it. you got to do it. <laughs> so if she misses a day, HM mm. Ward, yeah. she's doing 10,000 the following day. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, that's insane. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. But yes. yes. <laughs> and another one uses a task managing app called 3030 to get 30 minutes of writing followed by a 30-minute break. And she aims for 500 words in that 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and so she uses a timer. Another one uses a timer, uses her phone as a timer, and writes in 15-minute spurts with 10-minute breaks. Oh. Yes. Okay. Now, I have to apologise for the um, noise that you might be hearing because that's the plumber. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Quite, quite the job the plumber is doing there, Valerie. <laughs> I don't think we want details on that, frankly. No details needed, but hopefully the noise goes away soon. I'm sorry, everyone. Thank you for um, putting up with it. Anyway, uh, and also um, they, it's straightforward things like if you're stuck, write crap for a few minutes. One of them used to actually type in it was a dark and stormy night and just keep on going. <laughs> oh gosh! And <laughs> just just to just to get stuff out there, you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's it's useful to we'll put the link in the show notes uh, to to see what really prolific authors do in order to get to their word count. Now, I I could not write in fifteen minute spurts with a ten minute break because I would just think I. That's just weird to me. I, well, I, could I not only do that. do that if I if I only have fifteen minutes and I need oh, yes, to, of course. you know, and I've done, you know, I need to wedge in. Like I'll do it that way, but I wouldn't mm. knowingly do fifteen minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, ten minutes, etc. Um, mm. I'm probably more likely to try to get at least half an hour to an hour in if I've got yes. a stretch, and then have a break, maybe. Yes, maybe. Definitely. Mm. Anyway, I, look, I think what the interesting thing about this is, that, you know, whatever works for you. Um, and mm. I also think it's probably important to realise that you you don't actually have to be this. You don't have to produce five books a year. Um, mm. You know, I, I think if you're working on your first book that the idea of that is probably extremely overwhelming. Uh, yes. Focus just on finishing the one that you're doing. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I, I, look, I just work on uh, – like I – I don't really set a word count goal for a day. I just sort of, I try to write every day. And as you will know, if you're on hashtag write a book with Al with me, you'll know that that doesn't always work out because, you know, life, I have a very busy life um, outside of writing. And I, I am, um, I'm also trying something different this time around. And I'm finding that that's, you know, slowing me down in certain places as well, Mm. which is quite interesting. But um, my focus is like if I have an hour, I will probably get twelve hundred to fifteen hundred words done in that hour. Um, mm. If I if I'm if I'm in the story, if I've reached that point in the story where I'm I'm really you know flying along and I know what I'm doing. Um, but sometimes it doesn't. It just doesn't work like that. Some days it's like it takes me an hour to write four hundred because I mm. I really am not feeling where I need to be. Um, so, but you know, I, I've learned that if I just continue. To sit down, continue to show up, which is mm. um, a quote that I put up 
on my Facebook page this week, you know, showing up is is half the battle. So I continue to show up every day or, you know, most days, um, get as much as I can done. And, you know, I take that as a win. So I think, you know, that's what works for me. A thousand words a day might work for you. Um, Kylie Ladd tries to do, was it 2000 words a day? You just, you need to basically find the rhythm that works best for you and, um, and focus on doing that. Yeah. Now, when you're not feeling it and you might only be writing 400 words or whatever, and if you're in that uh, situation where you're not feeling it, are you actually sitting there kind of looking at the sky, trying to make yourself make it come out or or, or you distracting yourself with Facebook or what what are you doing? Well, I'm just (laughs) – When it's um, not coming out. Oh, look, it's it's usually because I'm working on – it's usually because I'm working on a difficult scene and it's it's um, it's not, you know, coming together. I haven't quite got that – I haven't quite found the key to the scene. That's usually the problem mm. is I haven't quite found the key to the scene. So right. what I do is I write crap, my version of crap. I sit down and mm. I write, you know, and if it's 400 words and it's still feeling like I'm wading through concrete – um, yeah. then I'll, I'll go for a walk or I'll do something different or whatever. Um, mm. And that's often enough to unlock it and and then maybe I'll come back later and I'll do another, you know, uh, I'll do a thousand words, maybe. But other days it just doesn't come at all. So I, what I try to do is focus because I think we had a conversation recently or an interview, I don't, I can't exactly remember, where somebody was saying that 90% of writing is problem solving. It's that working mm. through the problems and you are solving problems every yeah, single yeah. time you sit down to write. And sometimes those problems are bigger than others because you've created the problem back there on page one. And, you know, and this happens, I don't, you know, this happens whether you're a plotter or a pantser, you will come to points in your manuscript where you have a problem and you have to solve it. And sometimes mm. that solution can take a little bit longer than other times. And then when it comes it just unlocks the next 5,000 words of your manuscript, you know, in in rapid fire time. Um, mm. But until it comes, you know, sometimes it can be. Um, and I've had situations where I've created the problem by writing, you know, the end of the story and then left this gap in the middle where I couldn't figure out how to get to it. So, mm. you know, it's, oh, that was a, that was a good day. You can imagine, yeah. right? Oh, it took me weeks and weeks to figure out what I was doing there. Um, oh. But, you know, I, I'm also a person who counts that, I count that thinking time as part of the process because yes. I, as, as far as I'm concerned, that problem solving is what makes the writing work. So you have to you have to put as much effort into that as you do into actually, you know, getting the words on the page. So, um, you know, yeah, it's as I said, it's a different process for everyone and what works for one person is not going to work for someone else and the only yeah. way you will know what works for you is to actually get to the end of a manuscript and then you go, yeah. oh, wow, I'm totally going to do that differently next time. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah you actually need to get there in the end to figure out what you actually need to learn. (laughs) That's exactly right. Exactly. All right. Let's move on to another link, which I thought was quite interesting. It's from the Writing Cooperative. Now it's actually called how to create a CV like Elon Musk's for your protagonist. Now the fact the fact that it's referring to Elon Musk is actually irrelevant. And of course he's the founder of Tesla, Mm. but uh, really this is about maybe it's useful to create a CV for your protagonist. So not only, and I think this is a great idea because not only does it help you flesh out their backstory, 
But if you can choose then to perhaps write be the write the CV in the protagonist's voice and the protagonist, depending on their character traits, personality and intelligence and all sorts of things, would write their CV in different ways depending on you know, all of those factors. So I think it also gives you an insight in how they want to be portrayed to the outside world and it was something that I had had not really considered a lot, but I thought it was such a clever idea. I mean, you, this CV may never go anywhere. It may never appear in a book. It, ne- it may never um, be used at all. But in terms of just getting to know your character, it's potentially quite a good technique just as an exercise. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think, you know, any form of character profile can be a, particularly when you're starting out, can be a really useful uh, tool because I think it, um, you know, it gives you, I mean, obviously when you're writing a story, the whole plot of the story is tied to how your character reacts to things. And the only way for you to know how your character will react to things is if you know your character. Um, mm. Unless you are like me, in which case you <laughs> learn, <laughs> you get to know your character as the story develops. Um, mm. So a pantser will often work that way where they will get to know their character and you learn things about your character as you go. And this can be um, fabulous in the sense that you you know, have these startling moments as you go through the story mm. but can also be the key to much rewriting as you go along. So um, what I generally do is I find that I will start with a – I'll start, again, it's like everything. I start with a bit of an outline, like I have an idea of who this person is. I have an idea about, I usually know two main, two major things about them. I know their, mm. their main characteristics. Um, sometimes the look of them changes as I go through because I suddenly realise that they're a lot taller than I thought they were or something like that. Um, <laughs> and their names change regularly, which is, you know, <laughs> makes, makes it highly entertaining for me when I go back later. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it, it's uh, again, you're either going to be someone who's going to do the CV up front or you're someone who's going to summarise the CV at the end. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, when you go back to kind of lop off your first 3,000 words like I do. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's uh, whichever way – I don't think there's a – I just – again, I come back to I just don't think there's a wrong way and a right way. I think yes. that this could be very, very helpful for a lot of people um, and for other people, they might get so stressed about not knowing the, you know, the backstory or the spiritual characteristics of their of their character that they um, they never start the book, and that that yeah. to me would be a very serious, you know, problem. So I think if you get started and kind yeah. of maybe once you're a few chapters in, have a look at writing out your CV at that point, maybe. Yeah, I think Maybe. that I think that you're right. It suits some people and not others, but the only way you're going to find out whether it suits you or not is to give it a go. And if you get stuck, then obviously it's not for you, but if you find it really enriching and interesting, then um it's something that potentially you could use for more than just your protagonist and for yeah. other characters as well. Absolutely. Right. Let's move on to our competition this week. I love this competition. <laughs> Which really, I would never have guessed. I, with your very, very understated response there, <laughs> because it's centered around a book and DVD pack of 
a dog's purpose. Oh, there you go. And we we all go, ah. Exactly, exactly. We have three book and DVD packs to give away uh, of A Dog's Purpose, and that's thanks to Entertainment One. Uh, This is a heartwarming story of one devoted dog who finds the meaning of his own existence through the lives of the humans he teaches to laugh and love, I think it sounds. Awesome. Uh, now, entries sounds like close. A, it sounds like something would make us cry, though. I know. That is true, but I'm sure in a good way. In Absolutely. a good way. So entries close on the 14th of August, and if you'd like your chance to win one of the three book and DVD packs, then go to writerscentercomau slash win. That's writerscentercomau slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you want to be a freelance writer, our five-week course in magazine and newspaper writing, Stage 1, is the fastest way to get there. Step by step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, how to approach editors, how to research and structure your articles, plus interviewing skills, industry expectations and much more. You'll enjoy the convenience of learning online in just a couple of hours a week and have your very own tutor to answer all your questions. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash magazine. Okay, it's that time. Are you ready for the word of the week, Al? Oh, Val, I was born ready. (laughs) Okay, have you heard this word before? Amanuensis. Amanuensis. That's spelt A-M-A-N-U-E-N-S-I-S. Amanuensis. Uh, no. I can categorically <laughs> state that I have never heard that word before. Well, did you know that this is a fancy word for secretary? Like it's a real word. It came hmm. from ancient Rome when an amanuensis was employed to take dictation or copy manuscripts. Now, they might have been a slave or they might have been employed. But these days, it can refer to any kind of secretary or assistant that helps with words. So, you know, the the assistant in your garden, your gardening assistant is not an amanuensis. It's something to do with words. So you might say, my manuscript might never have seen the light of day if it wasn't for the help of my amanuensis. I would really like an amanuensis. I would like an amanuensis. I would like to see someone use this word (laughs) in context in a blog post, please. Yes. If you do do that, then make sure that you ping us so that we can uh, have a read. We'd love to see it out there in the field in action. Mm. (laughs) Interesting one, Val. All right. Let's move on to our writer in residence now. I had the pleasure of launching Patty Miller's latest book, Writing True Stories, a couple of weeks ago. And it's an awesome book. It's called Writing True Stories, The Complete Guide to Writing Autobiography, Memoir, Personal Essay, Biography, Travel and Creative Nonfiction. 
And it is, it's like anything Patty does is great and anything Patty writes is great. Uh, this is a fantastic book that you can use as um, a wonderful tool for your own writing if you are interested in writing true stories, obviously. Um, and one of the greatest things about this book, so she's actually divided it into different workshops um, that you can do by yourself. And uh, there's a bunch of exercises at the end and they're really thought-provoking exercises. So I think it's definitely worthwhile. But I'll let, you, I'll let Patty tell you about it herself. So let's have a chat to Patty Miller. Thanks for joining us today, Patty. You're very welcome, Valerie. I'm really pleased to be talking to you. I had the pleasure and privilege of launching your book recently, Writing True Stories, and uh, the, the subtitle is The Complete Guide to Writing Autobiography, Memoir, Personal Essay, Biography, Travel, and Creative Nonfiction. Now, it would be safe to say I could be slightly biased because I've now known you for about 12 or 13 years. You've been teaching at the Australian Writers' Centre for about 10 years or 12 years or, or something. I've lost track now. I think you've been there <laughs> since the very beginning and you have uh, mentored and helped so many students write about their life but also write about, in some cases, other people's lives and you've helped and mentored so many students to publication as well. So I will admit, I, I'm, I'm a little bit biased, this book, Writing True Stories, I absolutely love it. I think it's going to be life-changing for people in possibly quite surprising ways for them, not only in terms of their writing. I, I have no doubt that it's going to help them um, improve their writing and explore different creative processes. But I think there's something special about this book in the way it is going to help them change their their own lives. Um, but before I we go into all of that, just tell us in your words first what what this book is about. What is writing true stories about? Well, for me, it's it's the whole territory of uh, uh, narrative non-fiction but with uh the narrator always in the story there's plenty of there's plenty of non-fiction it's very broad territory non-fiction but it changes when the first person narrator is is in the story so whether you're narrating about your own life or somebody else's life or some topic that you have investigated um you are still in the story as the narrator and that makes it that makes it very personal. It makes it intimate in a way. It actually turns it into a relationship between reader and writer. And that's the, that's the territory that I've explored in, in writing true stories. It's the territory that I've explored in all the years, actually, that I've been writing myself, but also all the years that I've been teaching writing. And this is a way of communicating everything that I've learned from my own writing processes, but everything I've learned from students about what it's like to write a first-person narration about any kind of story. So the thing is that you teach, you, you know, you teach courses with us, you take writing retreats to Paris, you write your own books, you've written novels, you've written memoirs. Um, you, you, What made you think... I want to write this book now. This particular writing true stories? Yeah. 
Well, I think it, it was it was because I'd written other writing books, uh, writing Your Life, mm-hmm. uh, which was the first one. The first edition of that was way back in 1993, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, then there was uh, the memoir book, I think yeah. about 2007. But I realised more and more that, that many of the people who were coming to the writing classes and my, my own writing practice was evolving – more towards being able to write a first-person story about something else, say, for example, in The Mind of a Thief. I was writing about mm-hmm. a native title claim in my hometown and in ransacking Paris. I was I was writing about Paris and, and French memoirists. And I realised there were other skills involved, which was to do with uh, research and interviews and, and how to bring situations to life that, weren't part of my own life. So I, I wanted to write a book that covered all of that territory as well as the territory that I had already explored in the first two books. So the book ended up as a combination of the first two books plus a lot of other material and a rewriting because, you know, the more that you teach the more that and the more that you write, the more that you learn from from other people so my my practice is evolving all the time so i wanted to to write a book that would uh share all of that and expand the territory of um of life writing now there is there has been in certainly in the last 5 years or so uh and and probably a little bit longer this an increasing trend for people to write from their own point of view about something else why do you think that is Mm, that's, a, that's a really good question. I, I think it's it uh, personalises the story. It gives the reader a point of connection about how to regard the story, how to look at the story, what kind of perspective to take. I think maybe Helen Garner in Australia has been one of the main writers who've actually developed this uh, technique in, in, yeah. in say, Joe Chinque's Consolation and This House of Grief and others, where she's actually researching and exploring another story. And and you might think, um, I think the reader might feel, what's that to do with you? What's that to do with her? And putting, putting the narrator in there acts as a kind of point of connection and relationship. It's almost like, you know, the Greek chorus in, in, in um, ancient Greek plays. It was the Greek mm. chorus, which was the point of contact for the audience about how to relate to all these events and, and magnificent and tragic goings on. The, the chorus gave the, the, the audience a point of contact. This is the ordinary mortal um, mm-hmm. are looking at and understanding and, and connecting to these things. And I think that's what the first person narration does. It gives the reader a personal and even intimate point of contact with the material that's being related. Mm. And so when in this book you have, um, it's, it's divided up into workshops and yes. there are examples, there's some explanation, and then there's, there's these fantastic exercises at the end of each workshop. How do you suggest that people use this book? Well, it could be used um, in a number of different ways. I mean, uh, partly uh, 
I wanted to have a, a book like this for me to use in my own writing workshops uh, <laughs> because because it helps me to have a, have a textbook. Um, as I said to someone once, I, I wrote my first writing book because I got sick of standing at photocopiers photocopying <laughs> material. And I think there's, you know, that that's, but that's just a small use of it for me in, 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 yes. and, and for the students in the writing class. But uh, other than that, you could actually start at the beginning, depending on your own um, experience as a writer. If you were inexperienced, you could start at the beginning and you could actually work your way through it. If you're a more experienced writer, you could start in the second half because it's actually divided into part one and part two. So yep. the first part is, is for more for beginning writers and developing more the idea of in the skills for autobiography and memoir, whereas the second half expands it out into the broader territory of, of nonfiction. Um, or you could dive into it wherever you like. You could just have a look at the... Uh, you know the contents page, and think, "Gee, I need some. I need some input about voice, or mm. I'm really feeling bothered with this issue of self-indulgence." Ah, there's the chapter on that. <laughs> so you could use it. So you could use it in that way. You know, when, whenever, and wherever you needed um, the input. Because for me, the best writing book is one that you put down and start writing. Yeah, me, I love that. <laughs> to me, that's the, that's the test of a good writing book. If you sit there and read the whole lot of it and think, ah, yes, that was good, I've failed. I've, to me, I've failed in, in my purpose. My purpose is for you to think, ah, yes, put the book down and start writing yourself. That's that's what it's for. I love it. Now, you mentioned uh, self-indulgence because when you are writing from your own point of view, even if you're writing about something else, it is, as you say, uh, sometimes people go, well, why are you in there, you know, and and not everyone can write in that way as uh, as amazingly and with such balance as yourself or, or Helen Garner. You know, I remember the first time I read The First Stone and I was thinking, oh, my God, she's so clever. <laughs> and so, But so th- this is something that people do worry about and people and, and that people do make mistakes in. Because I do read people's stuff that you just go, that's just too much of you. Where's the balance? What, where, where do people? What are some rules that people need to follow if they're thinking it's just too much navel gazing now? Yes, and it is a real issue. I mean, it's one of the things that 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 everyone who comes to my class um, uh, either wants or needs to to talk about. And and I think for me, there's a few guidelines. And, and one is is that you've got to um, step back um, from the material um, and realize that you are the writer's oh, sorry the reader's guide to to the material you know and, and to give yourself mentally and emotionally that that step backwards from the material and and to see yourself um, as the if you like as the guide so that I think that mental step backwards is is very useful, but also to remind yourself that your particular obsessions and passions might not be of interest to others. I think that little <laughs> that little bit of detachment I think is good, but also to remember always that you are not writing in your journal. I think journal writing is a really useful thing to do as a writer, and for all sorts of reasons it can be very useful. But, and I, and I don't mean to sound rude, but it's writing in a journal is a little bit like throwing up. You know, <laughs> you, you, you need to do it, but you don't do it in public. That's 
that's how I feel. Or you try not to do it in public, at least. And 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 it's it can get rid of you know that kind of writing can get sought through stuff. It can get rid of stuff. But when you are writing for others to read, you are constructing a world for them to inhabit. And so you look at the craft of it. You look at the craft of how you build that world. So I always remind you know writers you you know uh, you are building a world for other people when you write. Well, look, that's true, but, and I agree with you, the writer should be a guide for the readers and that your particular passions may not be of interest to the reader. But the thing is, when you are reading something like Joe Trinquay's Consolation or um, or Ransacking Paris, it is very personal and, and the writer, you or Helen Garner, whoever, they are including a lot of their own thoughts and reactions and responses, it's more than just being a guide when you're writing about other things. Um, uh, it, well, in the mind of the thief is, is a better example, I think. And um, and, and so where, it, it, where do you draw the line there? How much of your own responses and reactions and feelings and, and all of those sorts of things um, should you include? Well, I think, you know, the other side of it, and this is the other side of the coin in a way, is that um, truthfulness is very important. You know, honesty mm-hmm. and, and truthfulness is, is um, key. And that's, that's one side of it. Honesty and truthfulness can veer over into self-indulgence. And I think, to me, that's when happens when you forget that you are actually constructing something for other people to inhabit. You know, when you when you forget mm. that you're making something, when you are just like some people they come along and they just they want to pour everything out and and I admire that kind of emotional passion, but you actually need the discipline of the thought that you are actually making something. The whole time when I'm writing Ransacking Paris or The Mind of a Thief, and I know it would be the same for, for Helen. Uh, is I have in mind that I am making something for other people to inhabit. I am not just pouring everything out on the page in um, a great big soup. I am actually constructing something. So I'm always aware of the power of language, I guess. Yes, yes. Okay, that makes sense. So when you're writing something like this, which uh, is, you know, very it's very structured because it's divided into workshop form and each workshop sure. has certain elements – uh, it's a totally different approach to if you're writing a memoir or a novel, yes. for that matter. So was this kind of, in a sense, easy? Not easy, but much a clearer, linear path for you when you sat down to write or or, or not? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes, yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good perceptive question because it's it's true that that this kind of book, uh, it comes, writing true stories, it comes from my teaching experience and it comes from observing my own writing practice. So it's really strongly, solidly based in actual experience. It's, 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 um, there's a lot of theoretical discussion in it, but that theoretical discussion comes straight out of the practice of writing itself. So it actually comes from the intellect. Even though it's talking about creative processes, it comes from the intellect, you know, and, and I've, I guess I've always found it easy to, to write from there. My journey has been, as a writer, has been to trust the creative process. So it's been much more 
difficult for me, much more of a challenge, I suppose, as a writer, to learn to trust those sort of chaotic and dark processes that that can happen um, in the, in the creative. And, and I think as a writer, the 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 journey is always. Uh, balancing the creative and and the intellectual. Well, that's certainly been my journey is balancing those two because the writer actually needs both. You know, I, I think that some other art forms you might not need. You know, the intellect um, so much. You know, maybe as maybe as a I don't know, but maybe as a dancer, maybe the creative always always um, uh, leads and always dominates. But I know as, as a writer, you need to find a balance between the creative and, and the intellectual in the writing process because the tools that we use as writers are, are words you know, which, which come from the intellect, whereas, say, a dancer uses the body and a musician uses music. But, but we actually use that very tricky and slippery thing called words. And, <laughs> and, and words come from the mind and words have also shaped our consciousness. So we're actually using a tool that is, is making us at the same time. So it's very tricky what we do as a writer, I think. Yes. I'm always interested in the gestation period of books. Uh, and um, can you give me just some vague timelines, if you can remember, of mm. when you thought, oh, I'm going to write this book <laughs> um, uh, and it's going to be about writing true stories. And then the time period of, you know, thinking about it, structuring it, the time period and the time period then you, where you sat down and, and wrote it. Yes, um, I could probably roughly say I, I think I, I started uh, thinking that I wanted to write uh, a book. Uh, I didn't have a name, Writing True Stories, but I wanted to write a book that was covering all of that that territory that kept on expanding for me. Um, about two years before I started, uh, I was I was thinking about it even uh, when I, as I was finishing Ransacking Paris, um, and uh, I'd probably. Even before that, I had come into my head a few times that I wanted to write that book, but I needed to obviously to have the time to write it, and I wanted to finish the book that I was on, um, Ransacking Paris, which was from a very different place in in my in my writing self. So I I then thought about uh, when I would have time to write it, and I knew Ransacking Paris was coming out, and and I'd have have to be promoting that. So it was more that practical thing of thinking, when will I have the time to write it? And in the meantime, I pitched it to Alan and Unwin as as the new book that I was going to be working on. And they, you know, straight away said, yes, that's great. <laughs> we do, we do want to, we do want that very much. Um, when I, when I sat down to do it, um, it probably took, it was probably the shortest book to write um, for me, in that it was probably about eight months, I would say, uh, right. to write the whole, to write the whole first draft. Whereas, say, something like uh, the Mind of a Thief uh, took three years mm. um, uh, to write, and even like probably my first nonfiction book, which was in '94, I think, um, or in the '90s anyway, um, the last one who remembers that probably took oh, seven or eight years. To write, um, so it's it's not that I'm getting quicker <laughs> at, <laughs> at, at, at at writing books, but I, I I think that writing true stories, as I explained before, was in in many ways easier to write yeah. because it was more coming from the intellect. So it took about eight months, and then I, I had a, a 
break from it. I always have a break if I can, you know, of about a month or six weeks if possible, and then I go back and look at it again and and redraft, and um, then then it goes off to the publisher. But I, I think um, you know every book is different. You know, in, yes. in terms of the, of the length that it, that it will take to write. I mean, many you know f- friends of mine who are writers, um, who are experienced writers, and, and you know, can, can still take you know seven to nine years for a particular mm. book to to be born. You know, it just depends, uh, not just on what's happening in your life, but on the complexity and extent and subtlety of the material. It can just yes. take longer. It can just take longer to form. I think. And so let's talk about this book. When you were in that eight-month period, did you um, kind of divide it up? I'm going to write one workshop every two weeks or did you have some kind of target or how did you approach it and and, and did you um, have a routine every day? You know, I'm going to complete this for today yes. and I'm going to work from nine till whatever or whatever, you know what I mean? Yes, that's that's what I do. I, I, I had a deadline, obviously, which um, I think was the beginning of uh, September, and I was also going away to France to walk for a month or so then, so I knew I'd have to have it ready by then. So I did have that deadline, but I actually worked in a way, and I always have, I actually roughly work out uh, how long the book's going to be. Is yeah. it, you know, and for this one, I, I had it. Um, the, the publishers had an idea of how long it should be. They told me, I think it was 70,000 words, and I said, well, no, <laughs> it has to it has to be longer than that because I won't be able to fit it all in. Um, I said it will be about 85,000 words. So I had that idea of how, how, long, how long it was going to be. And then I actually roughly looked at the structure. I don't normally do this, you know, for – the creative books like Ransacking yes, yes. Paris or Mind of Thief. But for this one, I worked out how it was to be structured and I realised I needed to have a part one and a part two uh, that would, you know, show the, the difference between the two uh, areas that, that I was looking at and the developmental um, uh, structure. And I also thought about fact that I did want it to be not just covering various topics but that it did need to be developmental that it would start off with uh, people who who were inexperienced and that hopefully the material was in the order that people would want to learn it and mm. would, be, would best learn it. So it was developmental in that way. It wasn't random. It wasn't just let's put this chapter next. Mm. It was I thought about it because of my experience as a teacher, I thought about how to best um, develop uh, someone's writing skills. And then each I did work out, like I knew roughly how much I'd be able to get done. Um, If there was a lot of re – if it was entirely new material, then I knew that it would be probably about two to three weeks to write. If it was rewriting of material that I already had, I knew it would take about one week. Uh, Mm. So I I worked that out – and I would write in my diary, and I always do. Whatever I'm working on, I always write in my diary. Um, you know, each day that I'm going to be writing, and I do work about nine to two. That's my right. my writing day. Whether I'm whatever book I'm writing, I'm that's my writing day. And then after that, I take care of other things. You know, answering emails and and um, 
and doing whatever else needs to be done in terms of students or preparing workshops or all of that mm. kind of thing. So, so my writing day when I'm working on a book is nine to two. Uh, that's uh, that's what I do. But I also, even though I know I'm doing that, I still put it in the diary because <laughs> I, I just, you know, and I say that to my students as well. I said if it's written down, mm. you know. That gives you something to tick off as well. Yeah, that's so true. You know, and I always say to them, it's like the gym because it's been difficult for me, you know, to have that discipline. And if it's not written down, I don't do it. You know, it's it's easy to pretend that it was never there. You know, but if but if it's written down, you know that's what you've got to do. So so that's what I do. So if you if you open my diary, you'll see. You know, on the days when I'm working on a book, you know, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, there'll be writing will be written in big letters. You know, usually Friday there's the workshop at the Australian Writer Centre or somewhere like that. So I I do have a very disciplined approach to to writing. I think it actually started way back. You know, when I was a young writer and I actually had young children as well, and I knew that I wouldn't get anything done if I didn't use the time that I had when they were at childcare. So I actually very young became very disciplined in the way that I use my time to get my writing done. And I think it's actually served me well. I'm I'm not saying that you need to have babies young to be (laughs) a disciplined (laughs) writer, but I know that it it certainly helped me because um, I had to get it done in that time because then I had, you know, little kids around the house and it's very difficult to write. And as they got older, I also uh, uh, trained them to um, not knock on my door when I was in the middle of my writings. <laughs> so they'll probably, all they'll remember is, is go away, I'm writing. <laughs> now, you, as you've mentioned, you've structured and included the exercises so that uh, the, the person going through them may ideally develop their writing in a particular way and follow like a path what can people expect from doing these exercises I don't mean the actual exercises themselves but their experience of the exercises what do you think they're going to hopefully discover about themselves or their writing I think that they, I mean, they will develop skills. Certainly if they do the exercises, they will develop skills in, in each of those areas. But also that there is something about the process of uh, the, especially if you're writing about your own life, you will f- discover uh, things about yourself that you had either forgotten or that you didn't want to know or that you just didn't realise were there. I mean, that's that's the sort of process really that mm. happens in every uh, when I'm writing, but also in every writing class that people uh, are actually blown away by what they discover about themselves. And and I think the the insight and understanding that they get they gain can be very empowering. So it's so it's empowering from the point of view of developing skills. That always makes you feel you know that that sort of pleasure of mastery when you're developing skills. But also you know the the empowerment of uh, gaining insight into yourself and and into other people as well, you know, and that you can mm. actually, you know, sometimes, you know, be freed of um, anger and, and judgment. I mean, I'm not approaching it from that point of view. I'm not a psychologist or a therapist or anything like that. It's just something that I've observed happening, you know, that it, yes. that it does, that people do find it revelatory in many ways. 
Now, as you say, you're not a psychologist or a therapist, but one of the most common things I hear from uh, the people who have done your courses at the Australian Writers' Centre is that it's transformative, that's life-changing. And I, having read this book as well, I, um, I believe that this book, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, will be life-changing. Oddly, I can't mm-hmm. fully express why <laughs> myself, even though, you know, I'm a writer and I, I yes. should be able to do these things. And 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 you've just said that, see, what you said makes sense. And, of course, when you write about your own life, you're going to discover things about yourself. That's not actually a surprise. But I also think after reading this that when you are writing about other things, from your point of view, but writing about other things that are not about you, you will discover things about yourself as well. So I yes. can you try and put into words the thing that I can't? Why is this process so life-changing? Well, um, I was just thinking about um, what Dorothy Hewitt, you know, the writer, the playwright, um, said that when she was writing her autobiography, she said the person who finishes um, writing an autobiography is is not the same person who starts it. So she was acknowledging that kind of transformation. But I actually think it's to do with the fact that you are becoming the author of your own life. You you are actually constructing um, and your own life on the page and it's to do with that sense of uh, creative power, I guess, that um, any kind of writing, whether you're writing a novel or not, but I think it's more transformative when you are writing a memoir or writing about other things from your perspective. You are actually being... Uh, in the position of, I guess, a a pilgrim of sorts, where you are, and I and and I know people are very critical of that um, expression of journey, but I, I don't see anything wrong with it because I actually like I like the idea of taking journeys, and I I take you know walking journeys all the all the time, and there's something about that particular process of observing the world and then finding the words to say it, which is very empowering. So I keep coming back to that uh, sense that you are actually you are actually becoming an authority. Author and authority come from the same root word, in fact. So in a sense, you're gaining that power of an authority when you when you write your story it's not that you're going around telling anyone else what to do or or anything like that but there is a sense that you are uh in a a sense a more powerful human being because you have um been on this particular journey I don't know. If, I don't know if that explains it or not, but it's, it, it is a fairly intangible thing to try and grasp. It's just something that I've observed many times. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It must be so gratifying when you do observe that. It is. I mean, it is. It's kind of emotionally rewarding, I guess, because as as a writer, you live a very kind of solitary life. Because when you write, you, you're on your own. Yeah. Uh, and and so um, going to you know to writing classes and helping other people take steps um, with their with their writing is actually it is my contact 
with the outside world, if you like, and and it, and I find that I find that rewarding because I I do gain a lot of joy from seeing people's writing develop and also seeing their self confidence develop. You know, seeing their sense of and maybe that's that's um, part of the the key that we were talking about before. The transformation is actually perhaps a transformation in confidence as well. Mm, I love it. On that note, thank you so much for your time today, Patty. Thank you, Valerie. There you go, Patty Miller. Well, that was really great, Val. And I, I, I know Patty's um, courses at the Australian Writers Centre are always like so busy and oversubscribed and popular yeah. that I think that this will go gangbusters for her. Yeah, absolutely. She's a very, very popular presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre. She teaches uh, the life writing course and also the life writing masterclass as well. Um, I think that, you know, if you don't have the opportunity to come to Sydney or Melbourne where we have the courses with Patty, this definitely is an excellent book. And I think what's a great idea is if you have a bunch of friends who are interested in a similar thing is that you can potentially form your own writing true stories kind of group and do the exercises but be accountable to each other because there's say five different exercises at the end of each workshop you might choose different ones you might choose to do all of them it doesn't matter but then you can potentially um, do it in a group share your experience share what you've learned and I think that it can take you through several weeks or months depending on how far you want to go um and it'd be great to do it with a bunch of friends you know yeah yeah for sure yeah what a great idea I mean that's accountability it is and also a great focus like it's a really good focus for a group so I think that's a great idea though Hmm. there you go so anyway what have you got happening in the coming week Al um, well, I'm sort of managing my Facebook notifications at the moment because uh, the Your Kids Next Read Facebook group has a big giveaway on at the moment. We've reached 2,000 members and uh, so we've got a big giveaway happening and it's going completely nuts and I've got notifications mm. happening everywhere and that's um, that's open until uh, Tuesday next week. So, um, you know, if you're interested in children's literature and fiction and finding you know your kids next read then join the group and enter the giveaway um so i'm doing that and i'm uh, oh oh she says voice drops seriously okay oh (laughs) yeah i am also i've got two things on this week i am heading off to the uh cbca illawarra sub branches um literary lunch which is going to be super fun so it's Mm. where a whole bunch of authors get together with about 200 kids and we all have lunch and we talk about books and writing and um, and it's really cool because I've done it for the last couple of years and most of the kids that come are like the, you know, the library monitors. Uh-huh. My, they're my people, the library yes. monitors at their schools and stuff like that and they're so excited to be there. It's wonderful. So uh-huh. I'm going to that but I'm also, and this is where the serious voice comes in, I'm also um, copy editing the <laughs> – because it's due soon, the um, second book in the Adaban Cipher series. So I've got, I've actually really seriously got to knuckle down and get that finished. So, wow, you are busy. Like that's, 
That's so varied, isn't it? It's just you've got so many your fingers in so many different pies. Oh, so many pies. Just Mm. pies all over the place. Hot (laughs) pies, cold pies. (laughs) Now, I wanted to mention something that I came across this week, actually, before we wrap Mm. up. And I was was on Facebook and I came upon a post, not from one of our students, um, otherwise they would have known better. (laughs) But I came across one of uh, a a post on Facebook that said, excited to be on ABC radio tomorrow to talk about my book on XYZ. And I thought, oh, that sounds like an interesting topic. And so I went to this person's uh, Facebook profile and scoured the entire profile and I could not find a single mention or link about the actual book. Which is kind oh. of a bit useless. Oh. And I think it's so important that if you're going to be bothered to use social media to talk about your book and to build your platform as an author, you then need to make it easy for people to find your book or at least find your website so that they can then, you know, and I'm good with the internet. I tried lots of different. You are good. You know, I'll back you up. You are good. <laughs> you have enough practice. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, I tried lots of different ways to find whether I could find her website or this or that. And I just, I, to this day, I still don't know what her book is. And therefore, obviously, I cannot buy it because I did mm. genuinely find the topic interesting. And that's why I went to track it down. So, yeah, very, very important to have the right infrastructure in place if you are writing and or if you have a book and you want people to find you and if you want to build your author platform. And if you want a step-by-step guide on exactly how to do this, make sure you check out Alison's fantastic course called How to Build Your Author Platform. And you can find out more at writercenter.com.au slash platform. That's writercenter.com.au slash platform. All right. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. Where do we find you online, Al? You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com, and keep an eye on that because there's going to be some changes there soon. A um, bit of a facelift, a bit of an overview, a bit of an overhaul with the Book of Secrets coming out next month, so alisontait.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, yeah, feel free to connect with me on Facebook. I'm the Valerie Koo that lives in Sydney. But connect with us in the new Facebook group. The Please do. So you, We'd love yeah, to see you there. The So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. That's what you search for on Facebook so that we can have some friends. All right. Fantastic. Of course, you'll find all of the show notes at soyouwantobearawriter.com.au. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.